This morning's Old Testament reading comes from the book of the prophet Ezekiel in the 17th chapter, beginning at verse 22 and continuing through verse 24. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort in the shadow of its branches they will dwell and all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our reading from the New Testament this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark in the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 26, continuing through verse 29. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there. Written, He, Jesus, also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, At once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Throughout this gospel, according to Mark, we read of Jesus teaching quite often using parables, metaphors to give his hearers a sense of what the kingdom of God is like. That's a tall order. As he is describing for his audience a thing that none of them have ever experienced. No eye had seen, nor ear had heard, except his, of course. I suppose we must have been a bit like Ann Sullivan trying to teach Helen Keller. Where do you start there for a point of reference? In this morning's short reading, we eavesdrop on a teaching that involved agricultural imagery. And even though we are so far removed from the culture of the Middle East of 2,000 years ago, there are many things in this world which have changed, little if at all. And this happens to be one of those things that has been remarkably consistent, seeds still get planted in the ground and with the right mixture of soil conditions, fertilizer, moisture, and sunlight, the seeds germinate and plants miraculously emerge from the dirt with a lack of pests, disease, and herbivores. These plants will grow into the crop that they were planted and intended to produce. Thus it is with the way that God manages the whole 
of his good creation. From the very beginning of mankind's existence on earth, he was witness to the cycles of planting and growing. For the first man and woman were planted by God right in the middle of a garden and all around them grew all sorts of different ornamental plants as well as vegetables and fruits. One of the great blessings of living as we do in our own garden of South Eden is that we remain pretty firmly grounded, if you'll pardon the pun. We are close to the earth. We are privileged to see this wonderfully predictable and yet miraculous cycle of life repeat season after season. How often do we consider the teaching of Jesus that as witnesses to this unfolding process around us, we are being gifted this wonderfully holy glimpse into the divine workings of the kingdom of God itself. The most ancient versions of this gospel that we have end with the empty tomb. They don't include any resurrection appearances by Jesus. But in John's gospel, we have a wonderful account of mistaken identity on the part of Mary Magdalene. After the other disciples had left the vicinity of the grave, perplexed by what they had seen, or more rightly had not seen there, Mary remained and had an encounter with the risen Jesus, whom she at first supposes is the garden. And though it really is the resurrected Jesus, it indeed is also the great master gardener, the divine sower, the one who can cause green shoots to be brought forth from the rockiest, driest, emptiest ground, the most inhospitable soil of this or any world. The kingdom of God, Jesus teaches, is like the miracle of seeds growing into crops. So we now have a better idea of the process that takes place to make this possible. We've been able to peer into the cells that make up these plants, and we've uncovered the beauty of photosynthesis. So we've taken a little bit of the mystery out of it. We know a bit more about how that seed sprouts and grows than did Jesus' original audience. But it is no less of a miracle today than it was two millennia ago that something that starts out in one state can wind up transformed so fully into another state of being and yet retain its identity that of a single substance. That goes for you and I as well, and that's why it's relevant and just where this metaphor of Jesus is headed, I think. The rabbi was teaching his followers things about the kingdom of God. Part of being a good educator is knowing not just the sorts of things learners ought to know, but also it's about having a sense of what they are interested in finding out more about. I suspect that the topic of God's kingdom spans both categories. God in Jesus is revealing himself to his people, so it stands to reason that they would want to know a bit more about the realm 
beyond this one, where he also reigns, and which they are being fitted to dwell in. From the people's perspective, they and we are innately curious about what lies beyond. We have a natural curiosity for exploration, and and those who were gathered around Jesus were, were just as equally curious. So he is telling them both what they want to know and what he knows they ought to know. Whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we have been planted. We have been planted as seeds by God. We are not just accidents of natural chance. We are not a choice made by our parents. In the prologue to the gospel, according to John, the, the, God, the author there describes children of God as, though, as those who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. From the very beginning, we have been planted. We have been planted on the earth. The very first man, he was called Ha-Adam, from Adamant, the word for ground, earth, soil. We have grown as individuals and as a species in ages and stages, and we are now quite different from what we once were. That pretty much is apparent to most observers. I read an an interesting agricultural observation this week while doing a little research for this sermon. Did you know, did you know the seed of the globe turnip? It's about one-twentieth of an inch in diameter, and yet in a few months, the seed will be enlarged by the soil and the air to 27 million times its original bulk, and this in addition to a a bunch of leaves. It's been found by experimentation that it will, under fair conditions, increase its own weight 15-fold in a single minute. Turnips growing in good, and this author suggests peat soil, will increase more than 15,000 times the weight of their seed. That's a a dramatic change. But what is less obvious than the life cycle of turnips or tubers is that which occurs throughout the journey of becoming for the people that God has made. For that process is a much more gradual one. And while it is true that we are very different from what we once were, it is equally as true that we are now very different still from what we one day shall be. That's where our language and our imaginations begin to fail us and where Jesus is especially qualified to offer us some unique insight. He has seen, after all, he has dwelt in, he has come from a far-off country. He knows in the present that which, for us, remains veiled in the distant future. He has come revealing to his friends in language they can understand and with illustrations they can easily access something 
of what is and is and of what is to come. So, then why the mystery? Why the delay? Why has the kingdom not yet broken in upon us? Why do we have to continue to wait for the harvest? You, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are not the first to be wondering about such things. Those who lived in the days when Jesus' teachings were new to human ears had been asking the same questions of themselves and of God, and I doubt that they ever received a completely satisfactory answer in their day, just as I doubt there is a completely satisfactory answer still. Aside, of course, from the definitive parental response, because I said so. But if I were to make an educated guess, it might have something to do with the season. The gardener knows, after all, when the grain is ripe, as the gospel according to Mark puts it, when the time is just perfect for the harvest. The crop has grown then to a sufficient size, but not so big as to fall. The weather is favorable. The soil is dry enough. There are many factors that play into that decision. A lot of you are farmers. I don't have to tell you this. We have to trust. We have to trust that the master gardener is wise enough to take all these things into account and to weigh them in accordance with his holy and divine will. And that at the appointed day, all that has been sown will be reaped. The wheat and the weeds alike will be gathered in together and then sorted. Until then, we are allowed and encouraged and enlivened by an outpouring of the miracle grow of the Spirit to flourish and to flower, to bud and to beautifully bloom. Not just to grow up, not just to grow old, but to grow in the light of Jesus in the rich soil of God's word, in the obedient gratitude of Christian maturity, living not as the crops we think we were meant to be or we would wish that we had been planted to become, but rather simply for those the Lord planted us to be and desires us to grow into. A gardener doesn't plant mustard seed and expect to reap a crop of figs or sow a field of barley and expect wheat will grow instead. God did not root cedar saplings intending for palm trees to grow. We have been placed in the rich soil of God's garden in accord with a master plan for us. It's a plan that was derived not by ourselves, but by one so much wiser who cares about us, but also for the others that he has planted here alongside us and all around. We are cared for like the shoots that would become great trees described by Ezekiel. We are to be a delight to the gardener 
Or to paraphrase the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God. And that occurs as, to paraphrase Julie Andrews, we bloom and grow forever. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.